2: And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Gold Mines with Kevin Hart.
3: Welcome, world. Welcome to an all-new episode of Comedy Gold Mines, where we do what? Scream it, shout it, let me hear it. Get inside the minds of amazing comedians. That's what we do here. And oh my God, today's show will be no different. Why? Well, because I have another amazing comedian. I have another amazing mind and that's what happens. That's what happens. You stay true to something and it just continues to grow. You stay true to it. You stay consistent and it just keeps getting better. And that's what I feel is happening here. Ladies and gentlemen, the that we're jumping in today, the man, the myth, the legend, Patton Oswalt. Oh my God. Patent Long Overdue. How are you, sir?
4: Yes, very long overdue. We we are the two men with the busiest schedules, and we basically decided let's try to schedule a podcast together, which turned into trying to draw a diagonal line on an Etch-A-Sketch. It was so difficult matching the two of us up. It's crazy.
3: It's a good thing. No, I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have it any other way. And I can say this, well worth the wait, sir. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thank well
4: worth the wait. How are you? I'm good. I'm 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 back home for a short window. Weirdly enough, I'm actually inside my home, which is a rare occurrence these days. Why
3: is it rare? Is it rare because uh, you know you're you're back on the road again, comedy wise, or rare because you're back at work again? Give me why. Why is this a rare occasion?
4: It's a combo. It's the going away on the weekends to do shows, and then when I'm here, a lot of times, I'm either in a trailer or a dressing room Absolutely. or somewhere in a small hotel outside of town shooting something. So it's been pretty nonstop. It's actually nice to be in my home for once. Very nice.
3: I will give you your flowers and your just do. Patton, you are one of the most consistent working individuals attached to the craft of comedy that I can say that I know. You have not had a job. You have worked in this business for years, years on years on years. Can you give me a number to your run of work in the entertainment business?
4: Yes. I have been at it uh, this past July. I passed my 33 year mark.
3: Holy shit, man.
4: 33 years. Started in uh, July of 1988.
3: 33 years. (laughs) Yeah. 33 years. God damn it, man. Doing what you love. When did you and this is the question I love to start these podcasts off with because I feel like there's a defining moment. There's a defining moment in all of our careers and all of our, right. you know, you know, our, our roads to success. When we go, oh shit, this is it. This is when it's about to happen. This I can tell now that there's another like momentum boost coming, oh. and I'm going to reach another level of success.
4: I think well, there were two then, if if that's what you're asking. The first was, and this is going to sound. kind of simple but my first open mic it wasn't that my set went well it was that for the first time i found my hang i found the lifestyle i wanted to be in even before i went on stage watching the other comedians sitting and trading jokes back and forth and just kind of creating on the fly i was like that's the world i belong in and these are the hours that i'm most comfortable and feeling my healthiest and my smartest because up to that point i've been working you know, day jobs and different things that were paying okay, but I could I could not have cared less if that job went away. Comedy, I was like, if this world goes away, I'll be bummed. Even before I get on stage, I want this world. So it was love at first sight comedy wise. And then the year that probably around 93, i moved to San Francisco and it was that first year. I'm sure you remember this too. It was the first year when you got to the end of the year and realized, oh wow, I made enough money as a comedian, just to do comedy and that pays for everything. It does not a lot of money. I think I made eleven thousand dollars, but I was like, the way I was living with four roommates and a smashed up car and you know, buying no new nothing. I was like, I can just do comedy and that's all I have to do. I just felt like anything after that was gravy. It felt like such a launch for me. Like, okay, this is happening. This is real.
3: You know what? It's funny that you said it because there is a moment where you go, wow my My year is okay,
4: yes, wasn't that a weird feeling? My
3: year is okay, and I know exactly what you're talking about. So when you said there's two moments, that moment when you go, I can support myself off of this
4: and nothing else.
3: That's a big moment, huge, because that's when you you kind of have the idea that your career is is real.
4: yeah, and it's also the first time you can tell people in your life that love you and are concerned for you. It's the first time you can actually tell them, no, no, it'll be okay. I've, I've got this. This is actually paying because they're right to be worried about you going into showbiz. That's a very hard business. It's a huge crapshoot, and to be able to tell the other people in your life, everyone, calm down. This is working out, and and especially, I don't know uh, what year you start. What year did you start? I
3: started in ninety eight. 1998.
4: 98. That was a great year for stand-up. That was like, it was really, okay. when I started, not that I want to pull the old man card on you, but 88 was when the comedy boom was dying. <laughs> I jumped into comedy as it was starting to collapse. Like it was the worst timing to get into that career.
3: But why do you say that? Why do you say it was collapsing at the time?
4: Because there was an oversaturation of comedy clubs. In the early 80s, comedy became this thing. Comedy clubs became a new It was the night out it was the thing to go do and there were a lot of bad comedy clubs because people that didn't really care about comedy could just open it you could literally put the word stand-up comedy outside and people would wander in and you would sell them drinks and there were a lot of bad clubs and then it hit that saturation point and then it all pulled back and then before i knew it there were only two or three when i moved to san francisco in 92 there were 10 clubs a year later, there were three.
3: So at this time, Patton, who was on the circuit with you? What, what were the other comics that were coming up with you in this space?
4: Well, when I the night that I started in D.C., he thinks it was a different night, but I, I swear it was the same night because I remember this very clearly. Uh, Dave Chappelle also did his first set on the same show as Holy me. Holy shit. He was 14. I was 19. And he looked like he had been doing it for a million years. He was that good just going up, this 14-year-old. Oh, my God this is i just saw the start i just saw the first set of a massive superstar in the you know in the very near future not the far future this kid's going to be huge very quickly so there was him and then my circle of friends were um because because dave wisely moved to new york shortly after that i stayed on the east in in the dc area and then moved to san francisco okay so my circle with people like brian possein and uh, Blaine Capatch, mm. and then you know David Cross, Bob Odenkirk, Janine Garofalo—that whole West Coast alt comedy scene mm-hmm. kind of came up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah, that was that was going now, on.
0: What
3: are you talking about? I'm I'm a comedy snob. Oh yeah, you
4: you you're a connoisseur. You know yes. all the different years, all the yeah 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah.
3: Yes. This is this is the beauty of. Of doing this because I'm I'm so intrigued while having these conversations like there's such a high level of interest. So when you talk about that moment, right? You said something. You said, "Wow, I got to see Dave Chappelle." Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna switch and make this about Dave, mm-hmm. but you said something very crazy. You said, "At 14, I saw this guy, this this future star." Yeah. At that time, 19-year-old you, where were you? How did you feel about you in comedy at that time?
4: I was way more excited to be doing comedy than I was good at doing it. I was I loved okay. going to the club. I loved watching the other comedians. I was also trying, but I just, it wasn't, it didn't click immediately with me, which now I'm weirdly thankful for because I've spoken to, you know, I I talked to Chappelle about it and he said, yeah, but you know, he, he had that thing where he went up his first night and just annihilated and then could not, as he said, couldn't buy a laugh for months afterwards, which I know a lot of comedians that that's happened to, their first set is amazing. And then it takes them a while to recapture that. And that can be a real, real screw with your mind kind of thing. And, you know, uh, I know that Brian Regan and David Cross went through that where their first set was incredible. And then, ugh.
3: Do you think it's because you're trying to catch that same laugh? You're not appreciating the level of laughs that are coming in?
4: You're, you're not appreciating the level of laughs that are coming in and you're no longer in the moment. You're the mm-hmm. you're you're in a memory and not a moment anymore and mm-hmm. the moment has always got to be bigger than the memory or the goal you're you're if if either you're looking for the future and there were a lot of comedians back then in the late 80s unfortunately that were good but they, their whole thing was you get a clean five minutes you go on the tonight show he calls you to the couch you get a sitcom you've made it and that was the That's only it. way they saw to do it and so they weren't, they weren't they were living in the future and there were certain people that were living in the past some past set that was messing with their head and I uh, you know as harsh as it was I was forced to live in the present of struggling through and figuring out what the hell it was I was doing so I'm actually thankful for that
3: You know what I love I love that you you're familiar with the the idea of success back then right and yes. you're gonna love where I'm about to take this. The idea of success back then is exactly what you just said. Tonight's show, yeah. after tonight's show, hey, he calls you to that couch. Oh my God, the biggest moment ever. After sitting on that couch, you're gonna get calls the following morning. We're gonna take every meeting in town. After taking those meetings mm-hmm. in town, it's sitcom time. Now, keep in mind, I wasn't around at this time to my listeners. This is not no. my. This is not my. Uh, my class. This is not my comedy class.
2: Right.
3: I, I came well after this. This way of uh, way of approaching, you know, success within comedy yeah. was was being done. But this moment in time worked for so many people because of what was attached to that couch yes. and what was attached to what came from it. Now you fast forward now, right? Mm-hmm. The festivals are still there, but it's not the same. No. remember the deals would be given and that oh. the deals—it was the same thing. Yep. we had we had so many different breakdowns that would come. Uh-huh. Now, Patton, we're looking at stand-up comedy and we're looking at an amazing change—an yeah. amazing change in narrative. There isn't a blueprint to success anymore.
4: No, for a stand-up comedian, absolutely not. And and it, if anything you're very lucky that you got to come up in the generation that you come up with. Cause you came up in the raw years of the internet where there was still such a thing as let me put it this way. Yes. There are so many more venues that are open up and avenues that are open up. There isn't the, you must do a, B and C, or you will not make it. You can, I mean, you're the perfect example of, I'm just going to write my own script. I will do this the way that I feel is amusing and entertaining for me, mm-hmm, um, but mm-hmm. what's I think really hard for the post 2000 comedians, all of which, the, the new generation coming up is so amazing. Like my group and the group before us, there were a chunk of good people and there was a lot of like, why are you bothering? Nowadays, if you're out there doing it, you'd better be good and have something Absolutely. amazing to say, or there's, cause there's too many, there's too much exposure of what's already good. Mm-hmm. But the thing, the only drawback for that is um, and and I feel bad for a lot of young comedians coming up. They don't the thing that got taken away was the wilderness years, the years where no one was looking at you and you could you were allowed to make mistakes and go, I want to try this persona out. Ah, this didn't work, but no one saw it. no one's filming it. no one remembers it. You're allowed to just figure out who you are now every and I see comedians coming up who like post their open mics or they they post everything they do and I'm like, give yourself years of obscurity that's so valuable let your let there be some intrigue about your past it's so much better you know
3: you just said the wilderness years Ugh. and and i and i got to highlight that let's take a second yeah take a second to really punch that i want people to understand what that means again the wilderness years what patton is referring to is this moment in time as a as a comedian Well, you're figuring it the fuck out. Yes. You're figuring it the fuck out, and the thing that's taking away from today's time, and I saw it. I, you know, I went up the other night. I was talking about this on a on a a previous podcast. I was talking to Jim Jeffries, and you know, I was telling him. I was telling Jim. I said, Yo, you know, I just went on stage the other night. And they going on stage the other night, you know, I, I just was looking for the thing again, right? Just, you're just looking for the spark, the energy, right, the excitement, right. just talking about something new. But the thing is, there is no moment that's not captured. Yes. Everything is captured and you don't have the opportunity to no longer work, right? Because working in our craft is figuring it out. is stepping on the stage and being okay with the no laugh for a moment because this stuff may or may not be good right now i'm in the wild i'm fucking i'm 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 weaving through i'm hacking through all the weeds before i learn and figure out how i want to cut the grass i'm just whacking away and it's yeah. all being captured so yeah. so so in today's time the thing that was once a tradition or or that was once the roadmap to success, I don't feel that it exists within stand-up comedy. No. And I feel like right now, the social media push, the, the viral push, mm-hmm. is the hopeful grab. <laughs>
4: That's a good way I'm, to... I'm,
3: I'm pushing this in, in hopes that somebody will see it, grab onto it, and maybe this is my way. But at the same time, the sketches that certain uh, talent have done and are doing is acting as a magnifying glass to then become a segue to the stage. Does that make sense?
4: No, that makes perfect sense. And and again, as for that little for that drawback that I'm talking about, which is there's no more wilderness years for comedians, I will take that drawback if it means that voices that normally wouldn't have thrived in that very narrow uh, structure that I came up in now have a chance to get out there. You know, the kind of stuff that Tim Robinson does on. I think you should leave, wouldn't have gotten footing anywhere in the late Mm. 80s or early 90s when I was coming up. But now there are ways for him to get that stuff through. And you see how, same with Tim and Eric, same with, um, uh, you know, the, uh, I mean, God, there's so many people right now that I'm, that, that would not have gotten through in that structure. And now I'll take the bad with the good if it means that many more good people get through. Absolutely, I'll take that.
3: Absolutely. I mean, look, I think that there's a, you you just said it, you know, you, you're, you don't mind, right? Like no matter what we want to be in the business to where doors are opening up for the, for the, the new layers and levels of talent.
4: Because also it makes what we do. It makes us better at what we do. If, if we, there's nothing worse for a comedian than being the funniest person in the room or the only innovator, because then you just freeze up and calcify and you go nowhere. I always want to hang out with people that are funnier than me, that are doing more innovative stuff that keep my mind sparking, rather than I'm the alpha funny guy here. And that, that's just boring after a while. It's the, it's pointless. You don't write anything new.
3: Do you feel like your creative spark in comedy is amplified today? Or do you feel like it's a harder it's a harder approach?
4: That's a really good question. Because for every time that I, I am amplified uh, or every time, not amplified. Every time I'm inspired by something new, there are moments when it really puts into perspective. Oh, but my ways of thinking um, are a little bit limited compared to this other generation and how they approach things. So, does my voice even matter? But mm. but if anything, what it makes you do is, well, just recommit to your voice or um, admit to what you're limited in and make that the joke. Mm. There's there's. Humor in that, you know, I can only go so far with things. Um, luckily, there's someone else. Like like Bo Burnham's special inside, I could never pull that off. I could never, <laughs> ever, ever. Or um, uh, the um, uh, Carmichael special that Bo Burnham directed, which starts off cold with him just talking to mm-hmm. this audience. And then there's not a laugh for a long time. I'm like, I would be stupid, But again, I'm glad that there are people that are messing around with a form like that, th- that... Mm-hmm. You should always have to question what it is you're doing, not in terms of, should I be doing this? But like, could I make this better? Could I push this further? Nothing's better than watching someone push things way too far to go, oh, you don't need to be as hesitant as you are. Go for it. Go go out there. Go far. You know?
3: I love that because I think that's the questioning yourself is, I mean, look, it's a gift and a curse because you can question yourself into- so much yeah. doubt to where you say, Ugh. all right, I'm fuck it. I'm not gonna do this shit. Or you can do it in a way where you're like, you know what? I'm I'm questioning myself because I want the best of myself. And I love the fact yes. that I keep rising to the occasion and answering the questions for me. I love that I keep finding the answers and I'm not I'm not taking the easy way out by yeah. saying I can't find the answers and that means that this can't be good.
2: You ever have
4: this happen to you? Uh, You said you started in 98, right? Mm -hmm. There's that thing. This happened to me. It's happened to a lot of comedians. Whenever a young comedian tells me that this is happening to them, I get excited for them because it means it means you're going to be good, but it's a very scary thing that happens where you start first. There's the awkward years. Then you start to click and your material starts to work. And then that same material that's worked, you can't deliver it anymore. It's suddenly, it doesn't work for a while. And it's because you hit this weird wall. And what I always tell people is it's because you are evolving faster than your material is evolving at this point. Be, you know, And you have to let that happen for a while. And there was a time, I remember this very clearly in 1994, from January to May of 1994, I could not buy a laugh on stage. I was so inside my head. I had made a bunch of breakthroughs in terms of making money and also writing material. And then I started getting inside my head in terms of every set has got to kill. I'm the next big thing. This has got to be, trend. it's like, no, you've forgotten to have, the main reason you did this was to have fun and have fun with your friends. You need, to, and I had stopped relaxing and I, and I got way too precious about everything I did on stage. And it and it messed me up for a while.
3: It's funny you say that because, I mean, look, that's a, your product of, of you be mm-hmm. your enemy right yes you become your enemy and here's what i mean by that yeah here's here's something that people don't talk about often as a comedian when you start to get to the other side and, and the other side of of work that that the comedy doors open you up to right you you fall in love with that side as well so the same energy and effort that you put in the stand-up, well, you make it to TV or movies or Uh plays, whatever it is that requires the same amount of creative energy and passion and love. Cause you want to get better. Right. The same way that you wanted to be an amazing comedian on stage well, you want to be an amazing actor on television. You want to be an amazing, uh, actor in movies like you and it needs your time and it, it needs a, an amount of dedication. And when you fall in love, you're looking for the next versions of that thing too right
0: yeah. so while doing
3: that some of us do a great job of managing both some of us do a great job of doing that and still my weekends still not uh, no I'm out I'm out yep. I'm going on I got to hit the road comedy mm-hmm. clubs you can maintain it but then there's yeah. some pattern there's some that that don't there's some that don't do both and and yep. when they go back to it it's like getting back on a bike that you haven't rode in a long time right? Yes. It's like getting back on a fucking bike that you have not rode.
4: Yeah. And you can tell those comedians and and I've had nights like this too, where they've been away from it maybe a little too long and they are up there with a sense of confidence that maybe in the moment they don't really deserve because they actually, their new material isn't that good. And they fall and I've seen a lot of comedians fall into this trap too. You get so famous doing other things, TV, movies, that um, the, the audience is just so excited to see the movie star that you can get away with some kind of crappy material. And Absolutely. they're just excited to see you. And I've seen a couple of comedians, friends of mine that got really huge where they didn't say it out loud, but you could tell in the face, you're like, that did not deserve the laugh it just got. Like I'm yes. just working. Yes. A Thursday night. I'm working out at the comedy store. You are, you guys are laughing way too hard at this. Yeah. I'm you know, yeah. and, and it's like then you see that worry. I'm like, am I never gonna have an on, an honest audience again where I can actually That's the mind well, fuck. Yeah, yeah, that is the mind fuck.
3: That's the mind fuck. Cause now the mind fuck has got you in a place where you're like shit. Yeah. Like, now I got it. Now, now, is this that good? Let me go back to the tank. Let me go back and figure it out, man. I don't know. Let me, yeah. like, now, now it's like, am I, am, is this edgy enough? Is this raw? Is this, is this relatable? Yeah. Am I too, like, where, where am I falling? Once you get to that place, yeah, this is when it gets tougher. So, you know, I take my hat off to, to those that are still dedicated to the creative, within our craft and are still yeah. figuring out the ways to somehow bring new versions of themselves to the stage like and and, and yeah. after all you're talking about 33 fucking years
4: 33 man
3: 33 fucking years that's a long time
4: yeah i mean but this never stand-up comedy to me and i know look we and we both know them we've we've known comedians that were, got into comedy to get out of comedy. The comedy was to get them to something else so they could get... I am I do movies and TV so I can keep doing stand-up. I'm not mm. doing comedy to get out of comedy. And I love doing movies and TV. I love that they are so much fun, but I'll never not do go out and do stand-up. There's just, it's too much fun. And mm. it's the same thing, like when I watch people like you on stage, um, you are so clearly ha- having so much fun up there fun that it's like, there's no way, there's no way I would ever stop. Why would I stop doing this? I'm going to just keep doing this.
3: The fear, the fear for me is
4: losing that that can never go away.
3: And that's when I know it's time to stop.
4: But again, there's that fear of what if I remember, um, right before Johnny Carson went off the air for like the last couple of months, he would walk out and he would get a standing ovation. And then every line he would do in the monologue would just destroy. And you're like, destroy. no, part of the fun of Carson's monologues was like half the jokes wouldn't work. And the laughs would come from yeah. him making fun of how bad, you know, and, and, and you're like, oh, yeah. that's never coming back. We're never going to see that little that little desperation soft shoe that he would do when, when a joke bombed, which was re- very real and very present. So you, there's always that, how do you, but, but you, like you fill stadiums, how do you, chase that honest reaction and keep that going. Do do you do workout sets or what do you do? The
3: goal for me was to make the biggest rooms intimate. That was the goal. How can I make these big rooms intimate? Right. How can I get them all locked into where you're listening to everything I'm saying, you're listening to every word Mm -hmm. and the laughs are big laughs, but you're following me every step of the way. Well, i can do it with the performance i can do a production i can make it an event right right but to get to the event you know you got to put the year the year and some change in on the ground i i can't just get there i gotta really go and go to the clubs for like a year minimum yeah. i gotta, I gotta I got to go to New York. I got to figure out my skeleton.
4: Mm-hmm. I then got to
3: <laughs> figure out what comedy clubs I'm going to tuck away in yep. for two weeks at a time. Yes. And after tucking away for two weeks at a time, say, let me figure out the mini theaters that can get this small version of what it is that I want to do. But let me make sure the last are bouncing off of these walls correctly. All right. Then let me go to the next tier. Let me go oh. to that 5,000. And mm-hmm. let me see. Okay. I'm ready. Yeah. I got to go through a checklist and, and now, you know, as I'm like thinking about stand up today and getting ready just to build another set, it's so tough for me now. It's
4: really, it's so really fucking tough. tough. Yeah. And also because <clears throat> you and I are involved and I'm sure a lot of people at our level and I don't want to, that sounds braggy, but it is a, it is a true thing where there are certain things that we're involved with that you really can't do a joke about and hope that the audience is going to relate to that. Like, you know what I, I mean? Like, it. you know what it's like when you're negotiating with the studio about back-end yeah, rights? Can't. I mean, guys, you, you've can't. all and – we've all done – like, no one wants yes. to hear that stuff. You know, no mm-hmm. one wants to – you know you know what it's like when you're doing a scene with The Rock and they rig the explosion yeah. wrong, and then it blasts his ear out. So he's got to take this. you got to work with this double. I mean, you guys yeah. have all worked with doubles, right? And he's yeah. in your eyeline. You're like, what is – no, there, that that no. cannot be what your bits are about. The fuck are you talking about? Yeah, like, what are you talking? Shut about, the fuck Kevin. up! I don't want to hear you. What your are shit.
3: you talking about, Kevin? Like, it's the, the the craziest thing is like, you know, your your life changes, you grow, and 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 as as you do, you know, your your voice does, but yeah. but there's this weird there's this weird back and forth that you you know that you have
1: mm-hmm.
3: where it's like, all right. I gotta show I'm still true to who I am.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Right? I'm I'm still aware. I'm not a dick. I don't wanna throw the things that I have in your face. So let me not talk about that. Let me talk about this weight. But is this too it's like you're it's this that's like right now, it's work because you 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 have to figure out the correct approach.
4: <clears throat> yeah. And,
3: and and the correct tone. So so that's where I am, like currently in the craft. But I I'm I'm so I'm such a student of it that I'm envious and motivated by the youth, yes, that is so fucking strong Ugh. that is now coming up behind
4: that is also like they basically you ever you ever like get get jealous of comedians that coming up that were kind of shit magnets where they they were very lucky to have weird stuff just happen to them for some reason, you're like you just keep getting handed crazy material all the time, yes, you know yes. and. In a weird way, this new generation that's coming up—they live in a world where the, the, you can't not be a shit magnet just by living, because the world is going yeah. so crazy. So much shit Yeah. So and 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 they can relate to it in a way much better um, than 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 we can. And so th- there's that great, you know. Again, it's very exciting, but it's like I'm a little bit removed from being right in the front line of of the of the shit storm that that these kids mm-hmm. have to live in. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's that you, which is amazing.
3: Do you do you often uh go out and are you are you uh have you embedded yourself into like the environment of the new do you do it from time to time? Like you pop up at a comedy club, mm-hmm. you work out, you meet some new guys, you get some just just that energy, the hellos and have some conversations or 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 does it, you know, is it a lot for you to do?
4: Well, I mean it's it, sometimes it's hard for me to go out on a weeknight only because I'm fifty two and i yeah. if i have to wake up at 6 a.m the next day <laughs> but your daddy I'm needs his seven. 10 hours i'm not okay. going to be out till 11 o'clock but also yeah. w- w- the, the advantage again to the youth my god could we sound older um is it's fucking insane this is insane <laughs> yeah. to this. but let's do but also they can put out their albums whenever they want they'll put it up on spotify they'll put it up on soundcloud they'll put it up on their website so People younger comedians that I follow on Twitter, they'll suddenly go. I just put an album out. And you're like, oh, and you can just go listen to it online. So I'm there's this wealth of new. It's not just even the material. It's this whole different viewpoint of life that we are not connected to. That's available all the time, and to hear that energy um, is just just incredible. I, I just love it. I love it.
3: Where where are you at now? Where are you at now within balance? Fifty-two years old, married, right? Yeah. I mean, you're you're you you are like you said, your life is different now. It is. So so for a guy that's been on the road and and been true to this craft for thirty-three years, mm-hmm. what's your balance between family and and work? Is it has it? Ha, are you better at spacing the two and managing the two? Oh um, yes. Or are you following the same? trajectory give me give me that
4: yeah that you, answer. Uh, i'm not following the same trajectory and it took me a while to realize whatever your routine is or that is going to change with your life's circumstances i mean if you look at my early specials my first special is how i'm never getting married my second special i'm married but we're never having kids third special <laughs> my wife is pregnant like you you should embrace whatever it is you are and don't be afraid to change but and i also remember um there's a quote by Stephen King, which is, your art should be a function of your life. Your life should be way bigger than your art. If your life is just something that you jam into your art, your life, you're going to hit a really big, ugly wall. There has to be stuff outside of it. That will, and, and if you live your life where, where your life is bigger than your art, it actually makes your art way better. It feeds your art better because you love experience more stuff, and then the stuff you do is way truer and way more... Um, it just clicks with people. So, cause like, oh God, I do that too. You know what I mean? You know what I,
3: you know what I, (laughs) it's the commitment and conviction that you say things with that you contradict yourself with later Mm, in your mm. career, not knowing that it's coming. It's, it's, it's the convict, there's so much conviction. Look, look, at the end of the day, I don't give a fuck about relationships. Okay, because that's not, that's not who I am. Yeah the beauty of the relationship that I'm in now is that I have found like a, a new version of myself. Yes. And, and you know, this is what it's about. I love, I love that you said it because that's, that to me, that's the funniest thing about, about the growing up. You know, the funniest thing about the growing up is that we put a timeline together where people can look and go back to what you said, <laughs> what you said. Well, Patton, you said... No, I know what I said. Oh, I know. I know
4: what the fuck i said. I'm like, when, when people do that, like, uh, excuse me, uh, your first album, you're talking about how people that get married and have kids are idiots. And now yeah. you're doing all that. I'm like, I'm sorry, do you write letters to Time Magazine and go, uh, <laughs> I'm reading this issue from 1988. And uh, funny, you say that, I'm sorry, you say George H.W. Bush is president. Uh, excuse me. Uh, that You're like, yes, things change. That's, it captured a moment in time. That's not how that is anymore. <laughs> these people putting like luminol over people's past and go you what and you're like guys that was a snapshot of who i was at the time both the positive and the negative there were yes. stupid things that you do and you look back and go oh yeah I, I didn't know any better there you go what is
3: older Patton what is your what's the best change in older Patton versus young Patton what are you most proud of within self that you've accomplished over the years, for you, not business, this right. is business, you as a person. I know as comedians, we, got, we go through some shit. We, right. we, got, we got stories, we got some history, we got baggage, Oof. some dark, some not. So what's the biggest change in you that you stand on today and go, I'm so happy that I'm no longer that guy?
4: The biggest change in me is that I switched from being a guy, when I was in my 20s, uh, my life was very much a function of my art. Nothing came first. It was just that it was like I didn't even come first. To the cost of my, I think my mental and my physical health. I was too mm-hmm. ambitious and too, and I wasn't. I wasn't able to um, wink at my faults. Everything had to be defensive and had to be. Now, like my my wife and I had this big argument the other day, and as I'm as we're arguing, I'm not even arguing. She's just pointing out something that she was upset with me about, and instead I just kind of listened to her for a little bit and go wow, you know what? I did not see that that was a pattern of stuff that I was doing. And I got to change that because that's stupid. Why am I doing that? That doesn't benefit any, like it was this weird moment where I didn't make my faults personal. I made them more like, this was a mistake I made, but there's someone bigger than those faults that can then change them. And and like getting older is, so, and also it's just like, when you get older, I remember Dana Gould saying, it's great to get older because the stuff that you think matters you realize it doesn't really matter it doesn't matter you can actually enjoy life even more because, like that stuff doesn't eh, who cares that doesn't matter
3: it does not matter
4: it does not
2: matter
3: And you don't but <laughs> you, you don't know that like you said until you get older and you realize the things that are important
4: well that's another thing too okay here's another really thing big thing i'm proud of in my older age is that i do not get judgmental or impatient with youth because i have remembered And also it helps that I'm in therapy every week, but I really remember who I was when I'm in my twenties. And when I see Mm -hmm. someone in their twenties or thirties, that's, you know, acting up or even annoying me, but I'm like, hang on Patton, you're annoyed because you just met a version of yourself from 1993. And, and you, you were lucky enough that you met people that gave you the breathing room and the space and the patience to grow. Now you got to pay that back and
2: give back to these people. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts.
3: You said therapy. Why Why did you make the decision to go on therapy, first of all, before I ask this question?
4: I, I went through a really um, severe depression in my late 20s. Uh, it was that, that just sort of, I, I've kind of broken through as a comedian, but I don't know what the next steps are, and I got this and got this and got this, but then why aren't I totally happy? Like I didn't, you know, cause I didn't have the tools yet to go, well, no, your happiness doesn't come from the rewards monetarily or fame wise from work. It comes from way different stuff. And I remember talking to my dad, this was, I, I resisted therapy for years. And then I talked to my dad, I was like, you know, I just feel embarrassed having to go into therapy. Like, Humphrey Bogart never went into therapy. And then my dad said, mm-hmm. yeah, but he smoked a carton of cigarettes a day. So he was mm. in therapy. They were just in the form of cigarettes. So instead of destroying your lungs, go talk to a guy for an hour a week. It'll make you. It'll make things 100% better. Like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Like that kind of mindset. I needed to have that kind of my head kicked to the to the side a little bit.
3: Did you ever go through the bout with entertainment where substance played a part in you and your your down moments, did you ever, was it alcohol, was it drugs? Was there ever a choice to go down the darker roads for you?
4: There wasn't a choice to go down, it was weird. It wasn't a choice to go down the darker road post-performance, but there were mm-hmm. times on stage where I would get slightly buzzed thinking, this makes me looser and more confident on stage. Mm. This was again, in the very early aughts. And then I, but I realized very, very quickly, and th- th- thank God at that point I got into therapy, I'm like, wait a minute, let's take this out to its conclusion that this ends really badly. Mm-hmm. So I just stopped doing that. It wasn't, it wasn't worth it. I mean, I still enjoy a drink now and then, but I wasn't like, I was doing that strategic, like hey, I'm going on in an hour. Okay. I'll have a, a scotch and ginger ale let it hit mm-hmm. me right before going, i have one more sip and then bam i'm nice and loose i'm like wait a minute that's just gonna keep you know and that's no different than guys in the 70s going i'll do a little bit of bump of coke here and i guess and it just leads to the absolute you, you have to have confidence in yourself that you don't need some other you don't need the, you don't need the black feather that dumbo holds you know you yeah it's it was always in you it has nothing to do with anything external
3: well you're creating you're creating the thing you're, you're placeboing yourself.
4: Yeah. Oh my God. You're placeboing yourself, and in a weird way, that's a ver- that's a version of creativity that can hurt you because creativity has benefited you in so many other ways that you're going. Well, this is more creativity. How can it? It can only benefit me. It's like sometimes creativity can get you in some bad places
3: absolutely when you when you talk about comedy you talk about your road your journey from back in the day where comedy was but you remember uh you yeah. talked about your your group the 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 people that acted as your crew your 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 comedy family um yes i want to know who acts as your comedy heroes who does Patton oswald look up to you know if you could give me two to three names who who are your people that really stand out in stand up comedy
4: it's weird. Um, you know, you, you talked about writing new material. I, you know, I, I finished my Netflix special last year. I'm working on the next one, and then, and you know this. There's nothing worse than you put out the newest special. That mat- I, I follow the Chris Rock's law, which is once you put a record or a special out, you cannot it's do dead. that material again. It's dead. You can't do it's it. Dead. It's gone. So mm-hmm. and then so starting new is very very terrifying for me. So an album, I kind of listen to it ritualistically when I finish a special. Is an early. Richard Pryor album called um, "Are You Serious?" and it is mm. an, a fascinating album because it's when he is making the transition from being kind of a clean Bill Cosby clone, and he was a very successful, very funny, very you know well dressed, and everyone likes him, you know, to the the darker, more brilliant Richard Pryor that we came to love, and the transition's not going perfectly it's not terrible but there are moments when he just hits a wall and it doesn't quite work and that whole that whole idea of because it kind of mirrors not that I got to the same level of genius that he did but it does mirror the when I first started doing comedy I worked the road on the east coast I got very good at doing the road in other words very funny easy instantly forgettable material And then when I moved to San Francisco, and that's when I went up in front of people like Greg Proops and Margaret Cho and Brian Posehn, who were all really doing just really innovative stuff. And I'm doing my can't miss road stuff, which ate it in front of all of them. Um, And I'm like, if I wanna be in this city with these minds, I've gotta like trash what it is I do. Richard Pryor is an example. He was, they basically unrolled Hollywood at his feet. Like, you are our next guy. You are our, our anointed. You can be in these fun little movies and here, do an episode of Wild Wild West. Do you know? And then he was like, he had to make that, I need to reject all this because it's so limited. And that amount, that act of, it must have been sheer terror for him to do what he did to reject all that and kind of burn all his bridges in Vegas, moved to San Francisco, used to go on there. He was kind of like not funny for a while. He would go on the radio and was like like radical left-wing beyond like Black Panther stuff. And then he pulled all that experience in to, to go through that kind of thing, that his life story is insanely heroic. And I hope that someone makes, not a movie, I hope someone does like one of those limited tv series because there's no way to mm-hmm. put it in two hours the, no, no, the no, no, level no. of stuff much. he went it's way too much and it's a true it's too epic. epic artist being willing to tear everything down and rebuild over and over again it, it, it's incredible
3: well another thing to think about too is the the idea of the idea of celebrating a person when they're gone is something that's been you know it's it's especially in today's time i mean it's what yeah. is what we yeah. do at the highest level for some reason yeah. it's it's frowned upon to celebrate people when they're when they're doing the thing that they're doing right it's it's yeah. it's an argument it's a this versus that it's a i like you i don't it's so much around <laughs> it but when you know when you when a person is no longer here all of a sudden the history and the the you know the blinds are opened up and, and people yeah. go, holy fuck, we had no idea. None. And what you find in Prior when you're talking about Prior is Prior went... He went through that curve of searching for that identity on stage because so many people was in his head. Ugh. So many people was in his fucking head. And the reason why I say this is because as comics, we get in our heads, but the work that other comics are doing gets in our heads as well.
4: It oh. can't not... we're in comedy because we love comedy. You know, I don't want to not watch other comedians.
3: Absolutely. You see another comedian and you see another comedian's act, and then you see the things that are happening for that comedian. And then you go to yourself, (laughs) well, fuck, I got to start doing that. Mm -hmm. You don't say to yourself, but you don't do that. right? You go, no, I got to start doing that because that's how you're getting to the next level. So I got to start doing that. But you don't do that. Yep. Don't take off the hat. No, everybody that's been wearing hats are getting seen. It's like, you know, it's like when you, when you hear these young actors or actresses talk about commercials, they're like, yeah, well, I got my hair real crazy because commercials, they love the crazy hair. And it's like, but you, but you don't wear your hair crazy like that. Like, yeah. You. It's, it's a self-discovery in who you are. And I remember going yes. through that phase of what you just talked about, Patton, which is, I was trying to be the comedian's comedian for a moment because I remember mm. what it felt like for the comedians to say you're funny. And that's the, yep. the biggest it's the biggest blessing. It's the biggest it's the biggest award possible, right? Like for yeah. a younger comedian to be accepted by the by the older comedians. Like their nod yes. of approval makes you go holy shit. But Oh yeah. But then there's also a turn There's also a turn where success starts to happen and those nods of approval, those same ones turn to, man, I can't believe that (laughs) this is, you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a flip to it. So So you find no matter what, if you don't check in to you, if you don't find the confidence in what you're doing and take pieces from everything, become a sponge. you gotta soak all this shit up. Mm -hmm. All of this shit somehow work for you because if everybody Mm -hmm. else's idea, opinion, uh, word of approval, if it carries that much weight, you're gonna get to a place to where you go, who the fuck am
4: I? You're doomed, you are doomed. And you're right, and you stop being you. You will begin, to flicker and dissolve. And you will not be, you won't be living in the present anymore. You will be living on waiting for the next person's either approval or disapproval. Disapproval will become another form of energy for you. You'll scroll through the comments and until so you find the one guy to go, this guy saw, see, I told you. Which is in no way to and then you're not creating anything, anything.
3: It's so, it's so. Fucking true, man. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Like you just brought back a, a a crazy place of memory because I remember that stage with Keith Robinson, Patrice O'Neill, mm-hmm. Colin Quinn, Jim Norton, Rich Voss, yeah. Bill Burr, um, and and you know being amongst those guys and 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 having the opportunity to call those guys my peers. Yeah. There was a moment in my young career where. I was like, I just want them to think I'm funny. And you know, there was moments where they did there was moments where they didn't, but it wasn't until I got to the point where I told them, I was like, I don't give a fuck if you like it or not. Right. Exactly. I got the confidence to do that, that I found their respect for me grew even more when I, when I got to the point where I was like, who gives a fuck, I'm going who right. said? I think it's a funny bit. Shut up, it stinks. Yeah. I remember Patrice would trash me. That bit stinks. <laughs> Shut up, Patrice. It's not fucking stink. And I would I would defend it and stay true and not yeah. let them beat me out of certain bits or beat me out of my opinion of funny. Yeah. That's a major fucking key. You just said that, and you you sparked that for me. When you were talking about Janine, Janine Garofalo and all those people, like, I know the feeling of one. You wanted that approval.
4: So badly. And then I fell into the trap um, where the Largo in the 90s was the place to be for an alternative comedian. And I almost, but then I pulled myself out of it, fell into the trap of just doing rooms like the Largo and just mm. being, in, like, I got to be in front of my audience. And I remember... Uh, Louis C.K. told me, he's like, you have to make any audience your audience. Mm. If you have to, if you can't be funny unless you're in front of your people, then you're not a comedian. You're, yeah. y- it's this little curated thing. You got to be able, to, I mean, the the truly great comedians, Brian Regan can go anywhere and destroy a room. Dave Chappelle can go anywhere and destroy a room. It doesn't matter. Dave, Dave Attell, Dave Attell and Brian Regan could go in front of the same audience. Brian Regan could do his completely G-rated act. Dave Tell could do his completely NC-17 rated act and get the same response from that audience because their stuff is so good and they are so who yes. they each are. Yes. So that's Absolutely. who you have to eventually become. It has to be, you're right, it has to be outside of, still acknowledge your influences. I loved Patrice, I love Bill Burr. I love, Rich Voss, one of the first comedians I ever opened for, I love Rich Voss. But you have to love them, but then go, but here's my stuff. Take it or leave it, you know?
3: It's such a, this is such a refreshing conversation because I I feel like this conversation boils down to, we're talking about the confidence. We're talking about- The, yeah. the awareness that that you need to have you know in, yeah. in the in the game of comedy, and you know you're looking at two guys that have been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guest, if you do not know or don't remember, he told you he's been doing it for thirty three years, <laughs> and we're talking about the journey in that thirty three years of of staying uh. true to you, but finding that finding that mm-hmm. finding that moment to go. I, I'm going to be okay being this. And there's some moments of insecurity that are going to rip. Oh, boy. There's some moments of doubt that are going to come your way, but it ultimately has to circle back to you and you believing that you've made the right choice to do this thing.
4: Also, staying true to you involves making some pretty um, uh, horrendous mistakes yeah. and doing a lot of really stupid stuff that you then look back at. And you've got to look back. You have to own it and wink at it. Some, so if someone listens to my first album, and goes, um, "Some of the terms you're using, I'm like, yeah, you're right. I didn't know better. I was 27 years old. And, I was an idiot. Yeah. I completely own up to it. I mean, I'm better now. I don't know. What, I don't know what you want to do. You know, th- we got to move on. It sucks. I didn't know better. Now I do. But, but that's like you have to. You have to embrace that. You know. I
3: think that people are going to. Love hearing you talk the way that you talk because you're so passionate about, uh, about what it is that you're doing. And, Thanks, and, and I love that you're still, you're still passionate. I love that you're an example of, you know, you don't lose the fire. You don't lose the, the love for the laugh. Mm. Like you, you clearly still have that. And you were talking about finding ways um, to, to constantly be inspired and motivated, uh, staying around the funny. That's what this does for me. Yeah. This, this This does really? that for me just hearing people's love for the fucking crap. I love to see it, I love to hear it. I love the stories, I love the journeys.
4: Do you do this when I go out on the road now and i and i luckily i'm I'm friends with a lot of younger comedians that can point me towards voices and people that are coming up that I have open for me so I can showcase not only showcase these new talents but selfishly so I can watch them and go, oh, I never like people um there there's a um uh pink pink fox um paris sachet um <laughs> th- like these these people coming up irene too, that have life mm. stories and and viewpoints and i'm like i would never think of things that way that like do you do that it, when, on your shows do you try to have openers that also make you go okay i got to work harder
3: i have had the same group of guys with me
4: oh wow for the last I mean,
3: I'm, I'm, my successes come with them, Mm -hmm. uh, before success, they were there. Like my, the same little hub, we've, we've all grown together and what I've, what I've done or what I, what I wanted to do that, I can say that we've now done, we put a family together. We put a, you know, we put a, a tight knit group Uh and, and this tight knit group were once boys and now we're men. Right, yeah and,
2: yeah,
3: you know we're married we're we're kids, <laughs> and what used to be going to the clubs is now meeting on a Sunday and we're cooking out or you know Whoa. taking a drive and we're meeting at breakfast, and then we go to such and such house and we're we're doing lunch and drink like it's it's we laugh at how we've watched our lives change, but right. I love that we have experiences with the people that we're closest to
4: that's also smart because you got people around you that can call you out on your shit and go no no i've known you forever dude listen to me that's oh that's so valuable
3: absolutely absolutely i think i think that it's uh it's good just to see the ups and downs you know that that we all have and that we've all been through but it also acted as a protective coat for me Mm -hmm. on the road like you know i i i have this bubble around me and I know Mm -hmm. how everyone acts. I know everybody's good, bad, uh ugly so none of us are going to get out of character because we've been around each other for so long i my fear is bringing in new people and you out and people get bit by that monster you know that road monster that road monster yeah. got a strong bite you know going out yes. having a good time has got a strong bite and you don't want to be with the person that can't handle that bite and ends up doing blah 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 and that backlash comes back to you so i <laughs> i can say that this this thing that we have had it's worked
4: mm-hmm. It's worked. Oh, that's smart then. Yeah, yeah we, that's we, really smart.
3: We haven't done anything wrong. It's worked for me. It's worked for us. And that's my that's my comedy family. You
4: know? Oh, wow. It's, oh it's, my God. That's so beautiful.
3: Well, that's that's mine. <laughs> uh let's talk about you, man, and, and and where people can see you. Uh Patton, Patton right now is actually on tour. Uh, he's I on fucking my tour, tour, man. And I, and I love this. It's called Who's Ready to Laugh? And if you want to go <laughs> see Patton, which you fucking should, cities, dates, uh, they are attached to his tour release. Patton, do you have a anywhere where you can direct people?
4: Just go to Uh All the tour dates are listed. I'm probably coming to your city. I just did the Kennedy Center in D.C. I'll be in... Uh, North Carolina in two weeks. I'll be in the Midwest. I'll be up and down the West Coast. I'm going everywhere.
3: How does it feel just to be out, just to be out, be back around people again? You
4: know what the best thing about being out again, because I've been stuck inside, we've all been stuck inside. When you go back out on the road and do these theaters, you get reminded, oh, that's right. The internet isn't the world. Twitter isn't the world. Yeah. It's a, that's a warped view of what yeah. you think the world is. And you go out there, most people are pretty calm and chill, and like, oh hey, how you doing, man? But yeah. you would think that you know yeah. things are on fire, and then there's you know pit bulls with laser beams on their heads, and you know and there's yeah. Nazis everywhere, and then you realize, <laughs> oh, that footage of that of that huge um, that huge riot, they got in the middle of it to make it look bigger than it is. I mean, yes, yeah. there's bad stuff going on out there, yeah. but. For the most part, people seem to be sane and it's good to like get refreshed yeah. that way and go, oh, good. Okay, great.
3: Well, that's fucking good for you, man. And I can say, Patton, it's so good just to talk to you, man. This is this is a conversation. Once again, that's long overdue, but I believe the good things are well worth the wait. And listen, Patton also has a podcast as well. It's called Did you Get yes. My Text? And here's the beauty of it. He's keeping his household happy because he's doing it with his <laughs> wife Meredith. Yes. Uh you can't get a better opportunity than to do something <laughs> with the one that you love. Uh, how's it going for you? How are you guys loving the podcast?
4: It's really fun. I mean, it's, it's probably what you and your wife deal with, which is you text each other all day, even though you're home. And then at the end of the day, we just go, what was this about? Or why did you send me this picture? So it's <laughs> it's this great, like, we just catch up with each other and check in. It's a great check-in.
3: It's good, man. I, <laughs> yeah. I love the creative behind it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Comedy Gold Mines. God damn it, what do we do here on Comedy Gold Mines? We get inside the minds of amazing comedians. And oh my God, today, what an amazing mind this was. This was the mm. legend, the myth, the man himself. Patton Pat Patton, 33 years is nothing to be frowned upon. Congrats on all your success. Uh, you deserve flowers and you deserve them now. I am familiar with your journey. I'm familiar with the work that you've done. And I just want to say, man, major salute to you. Do not oh. stop. Continue. You're motivating. You're inspiring. Not just me, but so many more.
4: Thank you so much, man. Oh my God, dude. I will see you <laughs> on the road. Well, our buses will pass, yes. I hope.
3: There you go. Look at that. See? See? Yeah. This is this is a fucking great podcast, Pat. This is now at least you yeah. see. You see, like, oh shit, this was good. This was a fucking good thing. You had a good time on very Comedy good.
4: Gold Mines. Kevin. Thank you,
2: man. All right, Pat. Comedy Goldmines is a Sirius XM and
4: LOL and Audio Production.
2: Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil, with Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me.
1: 10-1-1. what's your
0: emergency but make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder this is slaycation